Episode 122. It's been about three weeks since we've uh, gotten together. Again, travel plans and, and other things. But uh, you're back in Southern California. I'm in Southern California. Let's do another show. What do you think? Yes, podcasting in the afternoon. You know, John, there is a video of me singing Take Me Home Country Roads <laughs> at Tootsie's. But I think that's not for public consumption. Maybe I can uh, send it along to you a little later on. It's about a, a five-second video. So it was a great time in Nashville. But... Big win in Buffalo today for the Kings, so let's get to it. Yeah, so the Kings are in the middle of their, or, or nearing the end of their four-game road trip. And this was a road trip that I think you and I both sort of circled on the calendar a little while back and said, this is kind of going to give them an indication of really where they are as a team, right? They've obviously made a tremendous step up over the last, let's call it, eight-ish weeks and uh, mm -hmm. put themselves in a pretty solid position. They're sitting in second place in the Pacific Division. Some of the makeup games took place in February. But these four games, there were a couple games that they could that uh, on paper they could have and should have won. Uh, and look, they're sitting at two one and zero coming into the fourth and final game, which will be against Boston. Uh, DB, do you have any sort of uh, key points that you've seen so far? Key things that you liked or didn't like, or concerns that maybe were addressed uh, over the last couple of games? Yeah, well, I think if you look at it on its face, two and two, you figure. The games they won, they should have won. The Dallas game was a toss-up, and they fell apart. They could have won that game. And the Boston game is a game that, off the last Boston game, I didn't think they would win, so we'll see what happens on that. But And I think to your point, John, as well, I think it also was a determining factor of what they would or wouldn't do at the trade deadline. Right? Mm -hmm. Had they lost four straight, had they not been playing well, had they not bounced back from the Dallas and Boston losses, was there a greater sense of urgency? I think at this point in time, John, you look – if they play 500 hockey for the balance of the season with 25 games left, that's 94 points. That should get them in because when you look at the division, yeah, Calgary's playing great, and I don't know how they do it. They, they can't sustain this for the rest of the season. But you look at everybody else in the division, John, I don't think there's a big sense of urgency to make a big move here. Um, there are holes on the lineup that we've talked about, but I think you're going to address those more than likely in the offseason, not really here with, you know, 15 games, uh, 15 days to go to the trade deadline. Yeah, it certainly would be better for better for business here, Dennis, if we spent 55 minutes of the podcast building up hype around the trade deadline. But uh, <laughs> let's just let the cat out of the bag right now. It does appear from all indications, uh, at least that I'm getting, I'd be curious to see on your take as well. It seems like GM Rob Blake is going to be content going into the trade deadline to sort of hold pat. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be some smaller moves on the margin, 
and obviously the injuries or potential injuries to Lemieux and Ardvidsson, which we can get into here in a little bit, um, could play into that. But all things being equal, it seems like the Kings are sort of content. They like the group that they have right now. They like what they've been able to do over the last eight weeks. There is not this uh, a big push or big need right mm-hmm. now because they're not in contention to go for the Stanley Cup. They're not one player no. away. This isn't the Jeff Carter or the Marion Gabrick type situation right. where it's like, hey, get that one player and re-slot everybody. The team has improved. They're better than where they were a year ago. They're in a solid playoff position. This group has shown the ability to beat most teams most nights. They should be able to, like you said, win enough games down the stretch to get into the playoffs. Um, if you're going to make roster moves, and Rob Blake was on this podcast and talked about the fact that he he wants to add, right? The, the, the right. subtracting from the roster at a 30,000-foot level is behind them. But the additions are most likely to come over the summer. Uh, Jacob Chikrin was one of those players that was targeted or talked about. You know, Arizona doesn't have to trade him at the deadline. They can wait until the summer, wait until more suitors are in in the mix. And um, so are they interested in Chikrin? Sure, absolutely. But, you know, they're not going to overpay to get him because it's not going to it's not going to make them instant Stanley Cup contenders. So they can wait it out uh, at this particular moment forward and improving the power play is probably the thing that they like to do the most, but without giving up too too many assets. So mm-hmm. it's a matter of sort of kicking the tires and seeing what the market will bear. And uh, if they can make an addition, that's great. But they really don't have to is the point, Dennis. Yeah, I think a middle six forward, John, I don't think that, first of all, it's not that really big swing for that unrestricted free agent at the end of the season from a forward standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's more defense, right, which I don't think they need. Again, the X factor is Edler. Is he coming back? It sounds like he's coming back. And I just think, look, the last two games to me, yeah, Anderson played great today, but he had a brutal game. The two brutal games, the Boston and, and the, the Dallas games were not good, and we expect him to bounce back. So is there a sense of urgency? Look, would I prefer Jacob Chikrin and Matt Roy on the second pair as opposed to Olimata and Matt Roy on the second pair down the stretch? Of course I would. Do I think there's a sense of urgency here? No, because they're winning with those players. Right? There's not. There are holes. Yes, and John, you hit the nail right on the head. This is not a Stanley Cup roster. This doesn't compare to you know Carolina or Colorado or Tampa, Florida, uh, Florida. Right, exactly. <laughs> so to me, could they could they make a move for a depth forward if these two guys are or a little bit more seriously injured than fine? But looking going into the deadline, John. There's seven games left and three against San Jose. And if you watch San Jose on Saturday night, they lost eight nothing at home to Nashville. So there are games you should win here. So there shouldn't be some panic mode where they might have a long skid going into the 21st. Think, yeah, there's somebody available at the right price that could help you from a forward depth standpoint, more so than defense. You make that move, but it's it's not it's going to be for a middle round pick or a B or C level prospect. It's not going to be the big trade that. You know, and I, you and I think that they may have to make in the offseason. Well, I think they're definitely going to make something in the offseason because they need they, they've acknowledged they know it. Uh, they want to add that top six forward. They want to make a bigger push. And they're realizing also that the timeline on some of the kids, it's a it's still a few years away. And, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like Adrian Kempe is the perfect case study to let you know hey, sometimes you just have to be a little bit patient. And all of that talent will eventually manifest uh, in offensive production. But Turcotte's not going to come into the league next year and score 40 goals. Quentin Byfield's not going to come in and score 35 goals. Uh, Kalia, for that matter, might not come, you know, even when an elevated role next year, might not give you 35 goals. So if if you're to look back at last year, there probably isn't another team in the NHL, Dennis, that added 50 goals 
to their to their totals the way that mm -hmm. the Kings did. Look right. at what they did in the signing of of uh, Philippe Deneau. Look at what they did in the trading of middle round picks in order to get Ardvidsson, and then even the additional goals coming from Kaliev on the fourth line. That is a rock solid addition of 50 plus goals to your total uh and kudos to 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 rob blake for being able to do that and you would also say and i've been saying this on a few podcasts i think db that edler was a very underrated signing and that it's really Agreed. too bad that he was injured because yes. if he was not injured and played a whole season mind you he had to of course continue to play at the level that he was you're talking about three key additions that you would have to give blake a lot of uh compliments to and a lot of praise for and on the defensive side of things just to loop back to what you were saying I don't think they're necessarily looking at adding on the uh, defensive side of things because mm -hmm. they're going to get the boost. It's like trading for yeah. Alex Edler at this point. Right. It's like trading to get that depth defenseman Agreed. that pushes Ole Mata, you know, probably out of the lineup most nights uh, for as well as he's been playing lately. You'd rather have Alex Edler in there. He gives you a little bit of a of a heavier, sure. different dimension. So the defense is probably what it's going to be with the addition of Edler going into the playoff stretch here. If you can do something at forward, I think your phrase is the right one, DB, at the right price. You're not trading a first-round draft pick to get a no, rental. No. You, you know, no. the Kings know what they want. They want somebody in that, that middle tier of years in terms of age so they can bridge the gap between the young players and the veterans on the roster. It's a very specific ask of what they're looking for, and that might be something that they're able to get, a la Victor Ardvidsson, something that they're able to get more in the summer than they are at the trade deadline because teams don't feel the pressure at the trade deadline, just like with Chikrin on defense, take the comparable player at forward. They don't necessarily feel that same sort of pressure. Uh, obviously, a lot of eyes on Philip Forsberg, but you know, until sure. Nashville falls out of the race, where do they stand? They, I mean, I feel horrible for the Predators because they're the they're the new Columbus Blue Jackets, DB. You're 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 staring yeah. a situation going, what do we do? <laughs> because long term, we're better off trading the player now, but short term, we're better off keeping the player. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, DB. Yeah, and I think with respect to the defense, John, like who would you trade for? Who are the guys that Ben Chirot, Calvin DeHaan? No. I mean, no. come on, is that uh, what's that? What's is that going to put you over? Is that going to help you win a series? It's not only, only unless there was another injury. So the, the guys that are available as rentals and Chirot's going to cost you a first round pick. Not for this team. There's no way. No. It just doesn't make any sense. And you know, Nashville. Look, Nashville's in a bond too because they're paying Duchesne and and Johansson eight million. They got to pay Forsberg more than that. They're paying Yossi nine million. So he's the captain. Are you going to pay more than that? So it's kind of predetermined of where. You're going to pay this guy. It's going to be eight, five, eight, seven, yeah. maybe nine. Right. And and he wants to stay there, but it, it's a tough situation. But if he's in the market, would you pursue that player from a Angeles standpoint? Of course you would. So yeah. So leading up to the trade deadline, the sense of urgency here because the players have produced. They've had they had a little valley with respect to the last couple of games. They've bounced back and responded. They've responded without Todd being on the bench too. So to me, it, it's. It's where this team should be, and if you want to make one more addition that might help you win around, great. But you're not going all in, John. I, I think you and I are totally in agreement on that. There's nothing to go all in on, to be frank. Yeah, uh, I think also when it comes to the defensive side of things, you almost have to trade a player away if you're getting Edler yeah. back. You're heavy right. on defense, or you're full. Yeah. Let's say that you you're have full. seven defensemen, right? Yep. You send Mavari back to the uh, Ontario Reign, and you have your seven defensemen. So if you're going to add another defenseman on top of that, you have to have one of those current seven, and I'm including I'm including Edler in that group. You have to send one of yep. those seven out the other way, right? Because you're not sending Dursey back to Ontario. <laughs> so what do you? So you have Anderson, Bjornfoot, Edler, and 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 Mata down the left side, and you have Dursey, Roy, and Dowdy. So where are you adding this other player without sending somebody uh, 
the other way. And you're not. You just don't need to trade one of those guys. So could you trade Ole Mata and, and you know, quote unquote upgrade into a different player? Yeah, you could. But you're kind of just moving the deck chairs around at that point because yeah. with Edler coming back here in two weeks-ish, Edler is going to be taking that spot and Mata is really your seventh defenseman. So you're you're making a small move to upgrade your seventh defenseman in case of an injury or in case something's needed. So again, it's it's to me, it's a minor move if you do make a move like that on dif- on, uh, on the defensive side of things, DB. Yeah, here was my point. With respect to Byfield not delivering yet and Turcotte, it, it's not, when you look at the league, it, it's not that these players can't deliver. You look in general, John, like there, there's no player that's come in as a rookie over the last few seasons and it's been really impactful, been a game changer. Look at Lafreniere. He's, he's finally getting going in New York. Kako's injured, has five goals this year. Jack Hughes is getting better, but is he moving the, the needle for, for New Jersey? No. And look at the two of the guys who are in the running for Rookie of the Year are Michael Bunting and Tanner Janot, who I think are both 24 or 25 years old. So it, it's you got to manage your expectations. I've said nothing about, uh, about Quentin Byfield because I don't expect much, to be honest with you. I expect them to get the games in, learn how to play a 200-foot game, how to play positionally, do all the things around being the scorer that he needs to be. But all the other facets of the game, if he's doing that over the next, you know, he's played, what, 16 games? He's going to play half a season if he plays the balance of the season. To me, that's what I want to see from Q, like not being out of position, not making the mistakes on the other end or in the neutral zone. He's been decent on faceoff. So to me, I've managed my expectations on these kids coming up because I just look at the league and there's the rare player now over the last four or five seasons that's come in and been impactful. It's it's not like John, like five, six years ago, Austin Matthews came in, Connor McDavid came in, and those guys right off the bat. But I don't have the player that, to be frank, has been like this dominant player, especially with forwards. You know, you could well, talk about Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes. But to me, you're going to have to wait on these players. It's just not that easy. And you even mentioned Artie. Yeah, I agree with you. Artie may not be a 30-goal scorer next year. He might be 20-22, you know, on the second line. DB, there's a couple uh, reactions there. First, I want to talk about Trevor Zegers in a moment because I think that would be somebody. But the exception is really what – it's the context of this conversation. You can point to a few people, whether it's Matthews from a couple years ago or any specific player this year – They are the exception, and that's the real point to get across. It's not the rule. The rule is closer to an Adrian Kempe, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's closer to Kempe than it is to Matthews at the very least, right? Um, If you want to consider those to be the two ends of the the spectrum. Most players that come in, most young players, first-round draft picks, whatever, most young players that come into the National Hockey League do not immediately go to superstardom. Uh, Timu Solani, you know, did it once upon a time. That type of thing just doesn't happen anymore. Nobody comes but, in and scores 76 goals. No, anymore, they do, and, and Dennis, here's the thing that's funny about it, though, is that everybody talks about the new NHL, the faster NHL, the younger NHL, and all of that stuff. That is true. Players are mm-hmm. getting to the league sooner than they used to. It yeah. is a younger league. It is a faster league. But to really produce offensively at that higher level, it does take a couple of years. It takes a while. So the greatest thing that ever happened for Quentin Byfield was the American Hockey League and the pandemic last year mm-hmm. and being able to play a full season of pro hockey, even though I don't want to call it the fake AHL, but I was talking with a scout yeah. the other day, okay. and he was pointing this out to me, and it's going to be worked into the prospect rankings that we're going to release um, soon. And we were talking about the difference in the American Hockey League last year versus the American Hockey League this year, because mm-hmm. typically we talk about the American League being the second best league in the world, and it's an older league, et cetera. 
last year there was this mix of young and old and you saw it with the Ontario rain too. They were an extremely young team last year. And when they would play comparable younger teams in the American league, they would dominate them. Their skill would take over and they were very impressive. But then when they played some of those older veteran, heavier teams, they struggled against those teams. And, but here's the thing though, all of those experiences actually made those kids better. And it has sure. made the American league this year an outstanding league. Mm -hmm. And the comment that's been picked up twice now by different people to me has been that this is perhaps the best season of American league hockey that we've seen in recent memory, because yep. all of those kids that played pro last year and had a, a year under their belt have now developed. And it's made the, it's made the league, the AHL more comparable to that. What we've talked about a younger league, a faster league, a better league, et cetera. Mm -hmm. This is cream of the crop that we are seeing right now. And I know this is a little bit of a tangent because Byfield's not included in that group, but there sure. are some other Kings prospects down there, which we can get to maybe in the second or third period. But I want to loop back to the to the Zegras point because I had two, two reactions to what you said. One, which was just patience, right? It takes time for right. some of these younger players to develop. It's great that they signed to know and allowed Byfield to yes. sort of break in a little bit easier than the pressure that Gabe Velarde felt when he was trying to break in right. and move from third line to second line, et cetera. But Trevor Zegris, I just have to mention that, uh, Dennis, because he is a player that when Kings fans think about young prospects entering, Drysdale has been very impressive. Yep. Zegris most nights has been very impressive. But there's one thing I want to say about Trevor Zegris, and I'll probably get some hate mail on this, and people think there that I'm go. picking on the kid. He's exciting to watch, Dennis. However, if you really watch Zegris, you will see the warts in his game. And that's not mm -hmm. a knock. He's a young yeah. player. He's not a complete player. He's an exciting offensive player to watch. He does some really cool moves that'll make YouTube highlights. But you don't see a complete player like you would perhaps see in, let's just say, a Kopitar. I understand they're two different players. Yeah, 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 but you see a difference in a player like that. And you see some structure in a guy. I'll use more recent player. You see the structure in a Kaliev game. You even see some structure in a Turcotte uh, game, if you watch him, that you don't see in Zegris. And... It's not that one is better than the other. It's just a difference, DB. They're, they're, you have to take the good with the bad, right? I, yeah, I think you have to play Zegers with a more uh, defensively responsible center or winger. Like guys yes. on that line are going to know he's going one way. He's probably not going to come back and back check, which is fine, which is totally fine. If you play him and place him with the right player, it's fine. And remember, Trev last year wasn't great. He went back down. Right, so he went back down. He wasn't scoring goals. He came back up, and yeah, you're right, John. You see the highlight reel goals, and that's what people is in front of mind. And he's been an explosive player, and he's fun, and his personality is over the top. So love all it. those things, I love it. I, I agree, but is he that complete player? No, I I totally agree with you. But uh, you know, we'll see how it develops. But he was not an overnight, and and you're right. I think on balance, John Drysdale's been the more, I guess, complete player. Yes. The, right, the guy that can play and carry those minutes. Yes, like Trev's. You know, yeah, he might, but he might be on the ice for three goals tonight as well. So that's mm -hmm. the thing. I, I, I think Drysdale is really for his age, John. At what now twenty? Like he's really put up big minutes for a team yes. that really, to be frank, isn't that great. No, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to come clean here on Drysdale because I was not yeah. expecting him to come in right. and make that type of an impact. And I've been very impressed in the games that I've watched. Yeah. He, I mean. He's playing top pair, DB. It's, he is, John. You're not yep. breaking him in in a, an easy nope. uh, manner there. He's playing top pair minutes. He's getting the important minutes. He's getting the hard minutes, and he's he's succeeding in those minutes. And uh, I don't want to make this all.
I do think it's interesting because of the fact that he's played with Lindholm and you look at what's coming up at the trade deadline, talk about mm -hmm. decisions that have to be made. I mean, we've, we've yeah. mentioned it on the podcast before, you know, Raquel, Manson, uh, Lindholm. I mean, they have a lot of decisions to make and how is that going to impact the game of a player like Jamie Drysdale? I, to me, that's sure. a real question mark. It might not be a factor in what they end up doing because right. they probably have to move Lindholm if he's if he's content on on uh, exploring free agency. Yeah, right? he's going to test then, it. Yeah, yeah, he's going to test it. So you have to move him, but I think it'll be interesting to watch because Cam Fowler to me is not the type of player that's going to offer the same benefits mm -hmm. to a Jamie Drysdale okay. as as Lindholm. This is the uh, totally agree. And he was a steadying influence, and there's a confidence, like with Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty. Is Mikey yeah. Anderson the same defenseman if he's playing with Sean Dursey as opposed to Drew? Probably not, because you have no, that confidence, yeah. and you, you can you can take more chances and, and, and now be more, I guess, more aggressive in the second half of the season once you get your, your skates under you, so that you see it with him. So, again, your partner is a huge key, especially at that age, especially with that inexperience that you have playing in this greatest league in the world. So it has a lot to do with it, John. I couldn't agree with you more. All right, so on the other side of the break, DB, let's continue to talk about the roster because we still need to talk about Gabe Velarde. We need to talk sure. about Jared Anderson Dolan being recalled. We need to talk about what's going on with Double A, getting back in the lineup. Uh, we need to talk about Leas Anderson. We need to talk about Brendan Lemieux. That We've spent some time on the defensive side of things. Let's switch right. gears and move up front and talk about some forwards right after the break. Are we going to talk about Martin Furk? <laughs> if you would like to, Dennis, we will. Okay, all right, we'll be back. second period kings of the podcast db let's get into it at forward and why don't we just start at the top of the of the uh, roster and sort of work our way down and we will eventually get to some of those names that we talked about including gabe velarde brendan lemieux etc uh jared anderson dolan he's he's been moved from center to wing this year he's played the majority of his games at wing with the ontario rain and uh he came in like a house of fire when he was recalled for this road trip he had i think uh 10 goals in his previous yeah. 11 including a few multi-goal games as recently as the last game that he played for the rain prior to being called up. So Jared Anderson Dolan playing some outstanding hockey. But DB, here's the thing that I think people forget. He played for the LA Kings last season pretty much the whole year. He didn't get into every game, but he played pretty much the whole year in LA. And he was a very solid player last year. Yep. So I know some people were disappointed that he was, you know, not part of the roster on opening night, but having... Uh, being exempt from waivers, having that third year of his entry-level contract allowed him to go down to Ontario, and moving him from center to wing made a ton of sense when you looked at what they had coming yeah. down the middle, sure. right? Um, I mean, you could maybe argue that he would be the fourth-line center in place of Lazat, but the way that Lazat has played this year, he's he's proven that he's more than capable of playing that spot, and he's going to make it hard for, for Jad to take it. So my question really is this, just DB. Um, what did you think about the move, Trent Yanni, 
in place of Todd McClellan. Uh, I'm sure Todd signed off on it, but but putting Chad up on the top line with Kopitar and Kempe, what did you think about that when they made that move a couple games ago? Well, he's playing with his older brother, Anse Kopitar, so I totally get That's it, right. right? He's a room. That's right. <laughs> put As told and... here on Kings of the Podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, look, I think it's a question of, I think the more surprising thing, John, is moving I follow down the lineup. Uh, I get Jod because, look, and we can go into this with Velarde and Furk and whoever you want to talk about. The kid can play at the pace they play at. And I think that's it. I, I, they don't lose anything with respect to pace when you move IFL down to help out Brown and, and Byfield and you put Jod in there. So to me, that that it, it made sense because he can skate with those guys. It's as simple as that. Is he going to mm-hmm. be productive? I have no idea. It doesn't matter. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna make mistakes, John, because he is now experienced in the league. And again, he could skate with those guys. So to me, I, I think it made the most sense. And I follow, and as you mentioned, John. He's been fighting a little bit. He's not been the productive player he was the first, you know, 40-some-odd 40, 40 games. He's had a, a drop in production. So, to me, a little surprising to see Jot up on the first line, first game in. But when you think through where he would fit in the lineup, I, I think it made sense. I had no problem with it. Yeah, I, I would say I was excited by it only because it seemed like a rather aggressive move, and we haven't seen a lot of aggressive moves no. by the Kings coaching staff, over, uh, uh, coaching staff over the last couple of seasons. They tend to make more of the – slow move yeah and i think maybe on paper this the i don't want to the, the more conservative move would have been to move more down to the third line and to mm. plug jad in on the second line but nobody in their right mind was ready to touch, touch that, that second line, line you know <laughs> with as red hot as that group had been more to know and arvidson of course um but yeah pretty exciting to see him playing up at the top there and uh although I think that sometimes it sets the wrong expectations as well because you see a guy who scores 10 goals in 11 games sure. at the AHL and you're thinking, okay, great, he's going to come in and he's going he's gonna to jumpstart that line because it wasn't just Iafalo. Kopitar, he's yeah, had true. a lot of assists, but Kopi hasn't been scoring goals. I think he had one goal in 13 games the last time I looked. So Iafalo and Kopitar, breaking those two up and trying to add some offense to that group was uh, was an interesting thing. and. You know, I, I just hope there's a place for Jad in the lineup. I love his game. I love what just a professional player he is. Mm-hmm. And I, he does bring some some jump. And uh, I like what you said about uh, being able to play at the pace. So so that's important. I don't think we need to talk about the second line, DB. Um, no. it, it is what it is. Other than Ardvidsson being injured early in the third period today, that weird play where it sort of looked like his skate, uh, he lost an edge, but then he, he went, into the, uh, went into the boards awkwardly. And you were wondering, was it maybe his shoulder or his arm? But then yeah. Yanni saying after the game that it's day-to-day lower body. So right. perhaps it was the leg or the ankle area. Uh, obviously, the Kings are holding their collective breath, DB, oh, because yeah. Ardvidsson, in addition to scoring a lot of empty net goals and getting a lot of secondary assists this season, that's <laughs> <laughs> inside joke, um, he, has been, he has been producing offensively, DB, including coming off of a hat trick just the other night. Yeah, he's been great the last three weeks. He really has. He's stepped up his game. And look, when you look at the trade now, second and third, for Victor Arvidsson, that's a win for the team. So to me, but that's a that would be a tough if he's out for an extended period of time. That's that's a big hit because you're right. That's the that's the number one line with respect to productivity right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he was to go out, you really do have to wonder how would they reconfigure the line because, I you know, no disrespect to Trevor Moore, and I know when you whenever you begin a statement like that, it feels like you there's some disrespect, disrespect coming. Them. Exactly right, but. <laughs> You kind of look at that line and go, all right, more to know in Arvidsson. Which guy does not belong? It's Trevor Moore. And then if right. you think about what the options could potentially be if Arvidsson was out of the lineup and you had to maybe put double A on that line, 
That line is not as sexy with double A to know and more as as it has been over the last three weeks, Dennis. Would you move up by a follow? I think that's what you would do and put double A. Uh, you could, but then again, the line to me just doesn't have that same punch or sexiness that, that it would because no, I agree. You, you don't they don't have that goal score to put there pulling up maybe a Gabe Velarde, and then you really don't want to put Gabe Velarde on the second line. No. And, you know, I mean, his confidence has to be sky high right now. I'm trying to hold off on the Velarde comments uh, yeah. until a little bit later in the show, but I just don't know who you put in place of Victor Arvidsson. Um, I mean, even if you slide Kempe down and have a Kempe to know and more, yeah. that gets you excited about the second line, but you just destroyed the first line. So <laughs> I, what, do you, I think, what do you do there? Yeah. Well, I think with Arvidsson, it's not even the goal. It's the shooting mentality. Mm. Like They don't have a play. So if you talk about shooting mentality, then maybe you put 34 up there because he's going to shoot the puck. So mm -hmm. maybe that's it. I'm not sure he could skate with those guys. But if, if you want a shooter's mentality, number one on the team, without question, is Victor Arvidsson. And number two is Artie. And now that two-goal game gave him some confidence because he had a long stretch here, John. I think he had two goals in 16 games. And I think that got him back on track. So it, I would think of that as an option because if you want that that type of player that's going to shoot first and ask questions later, Artie's your second guy on this team. You know what I would do, DB? I would move Kempe down to the Dano Moore line, and I would move Kaliev up to the line with Kopitar. Mm. Kaliev to me would be a better fit with yeah. Kopitar than he would with yeah, Dano right. Moore. Yep. Uh, yep. I know it's Agreed. a big ask to move Artie from line four to line one. But to your point, if we're being honest, line one is really line two because at this point, more Deneau and Hartfordson are the top line for yeah. the Kings. So uh, that would be that would certainly be one way to skin it. Hopefully, they won't have to get to it. Hopefully, that Der uh, Hartfordson is is able to come back. By the way, Todd McClellan is expected back. Yes, uh, he's gonna he's gonna be like Superman coming out from behind the curtain, <laughs> ready for revenge against the Boston Bruins after being in COVID protocol. Trent Yanni's had enough DB. He said that I'm done. This he is said it. that I'm, I'm he's out. done. I don't want the responsibility. <laughs> I want to be assistant coach. I'm the yeah. same paycheck and assistant coach. And Todd's flying cross country for one game and then coming back for the for the for the homestand. So to me, yeah, it's it's, it's revenge, it DB. I'm telling you. It's, it's revenge. revenge. And and Todd, you know, it's more than five days. So Todd, first of all, he's symptomatic, right? Because you don't test anybody unless they're symptomatic. So I'm really interested to see what, what Todd has to say to us once he returns, because Todd's a guy that you know doesn't like masks, didn't like the 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 protocols, and really been frustrated by it all this season. And now he's the one that pops with a a positive test, and he's home for a, a good for what basically a week with COVID. If there's one question that Todd McClellan really enjoys, Dennis, it's a good COVID <laughs> question. So I uh, I will defer to you and allow yes. you to ask that that question. No, no, uh, I'm I'm going to politely pass on that. Uh, I, there's probably other things I would rather ask Todd McClellan about. Uh, at this point in the season, but go ahead, ask him, ask him who the COVID protocol officer is. And see no, no, well I don't want to do that. No, no, <laughs> that's another deep inside joke. I'm not. Uh, you okay, uh, coach? We good? We not, yeah. not going to cough on us? Let's go. Double A or Grundstrom yes. could have gone into the lineup today. Now, obviously, you can't second guess the, the idea of putting Double uh, A in there, considering right. that he had a goal, uh, really the the game winning goal, and then he. he I can't even believe that Ayafalo was uh, in Buffalo, was kind enough to pass yes. the puck to, I know, to 22 instead right? of just burying the empty net there um, with all of the, the Alex Ayafalo cheering section. But nonetheless, he did. So two two goals for Alex, um, excuse me, for uh, Andres Athanasio. Uh, what do you make of that, DB? Just uh, double A, he's been an enigma since he first signed. And yeah. in my mind, he continues to be an enigma. 
what, what do you make of double A at this point? Well, he's only played 20 games. Right? He's had such a rough season. Two bouts with COVID. Yeah. He's been hurt a couple of times. It's just been a crappy season for the guy. So, I, I look, the fact that he came in and helped them win a game, that's great. That's a win for this team. Like, he's a depth guy at this point in time. He's unrestricted at the end of the season. With the, with the players coming out and seeing him continuing here, it, it's, no, just been, I, it's been very unfortunate for this player who I, I think if he had a full season under him, would he get close to 20? Probably, but it, it's just not going to happen. It's just sometimes, you know, fate takes hand, and and that's what happened with Anthony So I have no problem with it. I mean, I, I assume he goes out there and plays hard. People say, is he in the doghouse? I go, he's not in the doghouse. He's missed, what, 25 <laughs> games or 35 games. <laughs> How can he like, be in the doghouse when, when he's not, not healthy enough the to house. play? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, but, John, let, let's talk about the guy on the other side of that line, the guy that gets ripped consistently – on our Twitter feeds for absolutely no reason, and that's number 23. Okay. What would you like? I mean, I have a lot to say. What, do you want to go first? Well, please, you start. No, please, I want to hear what you have to I, say. Look, the, I think so many people misunderstood my tweet the other day, and my my tweet the other day was not about tell me why Alex Iafalo is a better player than Dustin Brown at this point in his career or you know, tell me what Iafalo brings that Brown people doesn't. It was charts on you, John. Remember that? They brought out what? charts. They brought oh, out the charts and the graphs and the, and the, the, and the analytics and the charts and, and, came and, out at you. Here, here's my take on that, DB. The average, typical, common hockey fan does not get into analytics, okay? The analytics community, and this is not a, a rail on analytics, they have a place in the game, they're valuable. But the average fan does not follow analytics, nor understand, nor is interested uh, very much so in analytics. And so your charts about Alex Iafalo's defensive prowess did not answer my question. My question <laughs> is, why do Kings fans seem to always find one particular player that they're going to dump on every year? We've talked about this in the podcast before. I talked about it with Jesse Cohen on his show a couple weeks back as well. Is there a meeting in the summer where everybody gets together? That's what I want to know. Like, is there an online vote? Is there a survey? Because Ole Mata was the whipping boy of everybody, along with Curtis McDermott last year. And now it seems to have shifted, and it's to Dustin Brown. Uh, it, so, yeah, it, I know. I understand, people. Alex Iafalo is a better defensive player, according to the analytics, than Dustin Brown. But from an offensive production standpoint, and that seems to be what people like more than anything, Dennis. They love the yes. offensive production. They love goals right. and assists, right? Who was it in I baseball uh, that said chicks dig the long ball? It was the, yeah. the Atlanta Braves, wasn't it? It was like a big marketing campaign talking yeah. about how they love the home yeah. runs, right, yeah. in baseball. People love the goals in hockey. Yeah, so, they love them. Yeah, Dustin Brown, uh, six points over a handful of games, and Al Iafalo, uh, at the time that I put that tweet out there, had like two points or something in 12 games. One goal in like 12 or 13 mm -hmm. games, I think. Mm -hmm. um, he's playing on the top line, Dennis. Wouldn't the expectations be a little higher for a player on the top line than they would be for a player on the third line? I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Well, here's the thing. Look, is Dustin's season disappointing? Yeah, we expect more from him. I expected more from him. Like when I graded out the team on my article, I gave him the probably lowest grade. I gave him a C. So the expectation, mm -hmm. and you asked me who the most disappointing player was, I think, on an early podcast, and I said Dustin mm -hmm. was. But but mm -hmm. Dustin's not a feature player anymore. So mm -hmm. he wasn't, when they went 8-1-1, one, and one, John, he wasn't responsible for that. And when they stunk out the joint against Dallas and Boston, he was only goal, on the ice for one goal. Like So I said to people, I said, so he was on the ice for one goal, and Mikey Anderson and Drew Daddy were on the ice for eight goals in two games. Are you scratching both those guys? So to so think that he has an influence over this, or you're going to put 
player X with Quentin Byfield, and all of a sudden Quentin's going to be productive. It's ridiculous. I, I don't get it either. Like, he's he's not a factor. I think you used a great analogy. He's now what Shane Doan was at the end of his career. He's mm-hmm. not going to be that pivotal player. He's not going to lead the playoff push. But you need him in the lineup. Like, to me, he, he's playing at the right place. If it's the third line or the fourth line, whatever, I think he's come to the realization of accepting that role, that he's not a top six player on this team. So the thing, like, to point at that player when they lose a game 8 nothing or they lose three in a row saying, this is the guy that needs to come out of the lineup, it, it just doesn't work like that. And I don't understand the hate either. I, I really don't. Your production needs to come from your top six. Everybody below that is a secondary player. So Amen. that that's really my point there is that – why all the hate on a secondary player, a player who's not supposed to be driving the bus at this point? Focus yeah. on the players that are in the top six, right? Just like you should be totally. focusing on your top pair, maybe your second pair defensively. It's like ripping your backup goalie. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, he's playing, you know, such a limited schedule, whoever that would be as yeah. a backup goalie on a particular team. Um, it just seems a lot like a lot of uh, misdirected hate to me. But there is there is kind of some some nuance to some of it, right? Because if you're just sure. playing fantasy hockey or if you're if you're Xbox hockey or whatever, you look at the lineup and you go, oh, well, Dustin Brown, just flip him with Kaliev. Well, there's two issues that I have with that. <laughs> Number one, one of the reasons that I believe Arthur Kaliev has had a successful season has been the continuity of his line mates. Because Amen. when you're a young Keyword. player trying to go. learn how to play in the National Hockey League. Look, Mikey Anderson, we talked about it earlier on the defensive side of things, right? He has grown exponentially because he's played and paired on a nightly basis with Drew Doughty. If Kaliev was up and down the lineup, right, based upon whether he was hot or cold or even moved off of that line, that lack of continuity can impact the player's confidence. And we know that if Kaliev was to go down to the American League at you know where he's better than 80% of the players, his skill would shine through. This isn't right. about letting his skill shine through. This is about building his confidence and learning the defensive side of the game and his mm-hmm. routes and all of the things that are important. Right. So there's that that's a concern about flipping Cali Evan Brown, which looks easy on paper. And then the other concern, to your point, Dennis, is, well, you really need a veteran player with QB right now. Now, one thing no you question. could do is you could slide Brown over to the left side where he's played before, and you could move Artie up. I'd be okay sure. with that, but I'm not necessarily okay with just – I don't sign off on the flipping of Brown and Kaliev. It, although maybe – I guess maybe now I think of it a little bit differently, DB, because you have Ayafalo playing on the other side of, of Byfield, and so maybe mm-hmm. Ayafalo, Byfield, maybe, yeah. and, you know, maybe now Kaliev. Okay, I mean, I, I guess it's better. It's better than it was before well, because – Maybe, but you don't know if, the, if Byfield's ready to be a facilitator for Kaliev that Blake Lazad is. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know that's going to happen, right? And mm-hmm. I agree. And I re- it, It's the continuity, John, and I think that's the key. Like, you just can't, like this is not a 10-year veteran who can move up and down a line and he's going to acclimate and he's played with all these players before. Like, how often has he played with Quentin Byfield? He played, right, so he played me, a handful of games with Byfield. I don't know the exact number, but I know in Ontario yeah. they played quite a few games together, and, yeah. and I liked that combination together, and I'd like to see it together mm-hmm. again. Uh, but I, I, just because I'd like to see it together doesn't mean it has to be this year either. And it's been a year since that's happened. So to me, I, I don't think you – you want the player who's productive. Like You don't want to move him out right now. Like you don't want to do that. If it was up and down the lineup and they weren't scoring any goals in any games and you want to flip all the combinations, that's great. That That's something that I wouldn't want to roll the dice with. I, like the kids now 
acclimating. He's playing well, and I agree with you, John. It's not just about putting the puck in the back of the net. It's about all facets of the game. This is still a player who's developing. Why do you want to uproot the development if he's if he's playing with the center? I I don't think Lemieux out of the lineup affects him too much, but I think if you take him away from Lazat, as much as people, again, want to criticize Lazat, he's not that glamorous player, Artie's been playing with him, so just keep rolling with them, and I think you're still going to get that same production over the, the last 25 games. I think it's a lot like the second line, DB, that you might look at that line on paper and say, mm -hmm. that's not the ideal line, and if you just showed me 14 <laughs> forwards on a piece of paper and you asked me to put right. three of them together or asked me to find two wingers for Deneau, those aren't the two guys that I might put with Deneau. It's kind of the same thing. It works, though. So if it works right. and this team has had success – Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. Fine, they got smoked by Boston. Big deal. Park and ride. Oh, Move on, right? Move you look on. back to the L.A. Kings when they were successful in that 2010 to 2015, you know, sort of era. Um, putting the right players on the right lines and finding combinations that worked was important and continuity was important. And that's something sure. this team hasn't had a lot of over the last couple no. of years. And I think they finally have found some continuity on a few lines, DB. It's also one of the reasons why they kept Brown, Kopitar, and I have followed together for so long is there was continuity there that worked, mm -hmm. and you really wait until the absolute last minute before you have to break it up. And it's not just offense, John. It's their game. They play this checking game, and you need four lines to roll, and you know your role on that line. So to me, I just I, I wouldn't do it because it's just not about scoring goals. It's like, okay, this team is a superior puck possession team, and for what it's worth, they never score in the first period, so I'm not sure what you know. Sometimes what that means, but to me, I, I think that's the other thing. The system's working, so you don't want to flip four different forwards. Because to me, I think, well, you know, what about the defensive side of the puck? What about the neutral zone checking ability of this team? When you make that many changes, I, I just can concern. So if you have to make changes out of necessity because of injuries, I get. But other than that, I agree with you. I think the key with this team, especially with the forwards, is continuity. Well, Dennis, you don't need to score in the first period. What you do is you just you outscore the opponent in the first period. And then if you're a team that has a difficult time closing out leads, what you do is you wait to get a lead until as late as possible in the game so that you only have to hold that lead for the least amount of time. See, if you go up 4 nothing early in the first period, you're it's talking 40-plus minutes of having to hold on, DB. That's a long time. Why would you want to do that if you could just wait and only you're hold right. on for seven right. minutes? Yeah, I'd rather be the lowest scoring team in the league in the first period. That way, it's a, now it's a it's a forty minute game. You're right. You, right. you shorten the game, John. It's like having I mean, a running game in football. You just want to shorten the game. Yeah, I mean, I just I feel like we need to bring Ken Hitchcock on because he's the kind of coach that always brings up these very interesting approaches to the game. And you go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, he's the guy who talks right. a lot about face offs and the importance of face offs, little aspects of the game. Yeah. Forget all these jokers talking about playing a 60 minute game. Why? Why not just play a 40 minute game? It makes a lot more sense. I mean, I it's, just, it's clicking me, in now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's clicking, clicking in. in. Okay, good. Uh, let's, is, talk, yeah. let's talk about Brendan Lemieux because I think obviously uh, th that's going to have uh, an impact on the team. But I'll tell you what, DB, uh, we're bumping up against the uh, the buzzer here. And so why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back. We'll kick off the third period. We'll talk about Brendan Lemieux. We'll talk about Gabe Velarde and some of the, the depth that uh, the Kings have at their uh, disposal down in Ontario. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back? And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and beaten down. Living in the hopeless, hungry side of town. I wear it for the prisoner who has long paid for his crime. 
but he's there because he's a victim of the times. Now wear the black for those who never read or listen to the words that Jesus said about the road to happiness through love and charity. Why you think he's talking straight to you and me? Well, we're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. But just Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. All right, DB, here we go. Third period. Let's pick the conversation back up. I believe we were talking about Brendan Lemieux where we were about to. Uh, mm-hmm. It's day-to-day, so we really don't have a, a long-term prognosis. We don't know you know, how many days it's going to be. Uh, let's assume that he's out of the lineup here for a couple days to a week or so. What does that mean for the LA Kings? How do they replace that type of uh, uh, grit and you know that unique brand of hockey physicality uh, disturber role that Brendan Lemieux brings to the team? They can't. They need to get, they'll be a different player. They don't, they don't yeah. have that player in the system, which is look, you'll have to make do. It, it makes him a less quote unquote tougher team out there because he's the guy that goes to battle when there's an issue on the ice. But to me, they don't have a replacement. So if you want to go get like, if it's going to be a little bit of longer term where this is going to extend past the deadline, maybe it's that type of player that you go get at the deadline that could help you from a, from a, I guess from a characteristic standpoint, for for me, there isn't a guy that's going to come up from at least. I don't see the guy. Maybe you do, but I don't. I don't really see the guy that can come up and replace Brendan Lemieux because he's been a valuable player for this team. Certainly not the most valuable to the team, but he's brought a facet to this team they didn't have uh, before he came here, and he's been somewhat productive. He's got what seven seven goals. Hey, he's been healthy and not suspended. Maybe he gets twelve or thirteen, which to me would be a huge plus for this team. He has been a key component of perhaps the most consistent line the LA Kings have had all year. Not the most productive, but the most right. consistent line. That group, as we were talking about earlier with Kaliev and Lazat, the three of them have been very, very effective. Uh, little little tangent of a side note, DB. I don't know if you caught this earlier today, but the Arizona Coyotes signed Liam O'Brien uh, to a contract extension. I at least found this interesting. The Arizona Coyotes PR uh, Twitter they tweeted out per hockey fights. Liam O'Brien is tied for the NHL lead with ten fighting majors this season. What NHL Twitter account team account is still talking about fighting? Gary Bettman probably sent them a, a quick text to talk about that. I thought it was interesting, DB. Uh, that tweet that went out from the Coyotes PR team. Well, John, when you're going to go play in the five thousand seat arena next season, you got to stay relevant. Okay. So maybe that's part of it. <laughs> There'll be plenty of time for you to throw shade on that later, Dennis. Let's uh, continue talking about the LA Kings. If uh, if 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 33 is out of the lineup, if Lemieux is out of the lineup uh, on this road trip, given what's available to them, they would put Double A back in the lineup. Not sure where mm-hmm. he would fit in terms of on the lines, but you would also put Grunstrom back in the lineup. Right? Uh, have you have you liked what you've seen from Grunstrom when he's been in? I would say he's been inconsistent and a little bit disappointing. Uh, what I expected from him this year. I just, I expected more from Carl Grundstrom this year. What did you expect, John? Because he's, he's put up some, he, he scored some goals. He's put the puck in the back of the net. It's not, they haven't been highlight real goals, but uh, you know, look, to me, I agree with you. He's their 13th forward, I think, at best. But when you look at the numbers, I mean, the guys, okay, he's done good enough. Like, he has seven goals in 33 games. He's mm-hmm. a plus four. He has 10 points in 30. Okay, and he's played 11 minutes a night. So I managed my expectations on that play. I think you've expected more from the player than I did. To me, I think he was an extra forward. He's that tweener who never really established his game or 
what his role is on this team. And I think on a team, again, the checking team, the skating team, he's not that. We talked about Dustin Brown Light. You've talked about Tonka Truck. I'm not sure where he fits in this lineup. Would I have a problem going back in for two weeks, let's say, to replace Lemieux? I, I wouldn't. I don't think they have to rush out and get a replacement for Lemieux. But I think he's been good enough. I don't know. My expectation was, I, I think, uh, to your point about him being the 13th forward, I would have liked to have seen him be more than the 13th forward. I would have liked to have okay. seen him play more games and at least play on a more consistent basis because he'll go in, he'll play well, and then he's very quickly removed from the lineup. Uh, that I guess that's really my point. But it is also difficult to find a place to put him in the lineup because right. on the fourth line, that fourth line has been so effective this year. So I, I'm just I'm having visions back to the Grunstrom, Jod, Lazat, you know, uh, mm -hmm. grouping. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, there was a Trevor Moore was in that mix as well. Uh, going back to last season, I just thought that Grunstrom was an effective player. So, uh, enough about that. Uh, down in Ontario, DB, here you want to talk about uh, a tale of two worlds here and, and differences. Sure. The LA Kings power play seems to struggle most nights. The Ontario Reign have the best power play essentially in the American Hockey League, Dennis. Their power play clicks and it clicks well. It's being run by uh, Gabe Velarde. It's being run mm -hmm. by Jordan Spence, and it's being right. run by TJ Tynan. So three players. Mm -hmm. So let's just talk about those guys real quickly. TJ Tynan, great American Hockey League player, um, right. has seen some spot duty in the NHL, but for the LA Kings is not an NHL player. But he has been a godsend for the Ontario Reign this year because you think about that team last year where they were so damn young, Dennis, and they needed mm -hmm. veteran players. They went out and signed uh, uh, DSP, didn't really add anything. Uh, they just didn't have the veterans other than maybe like Amari Firk, who was injured uh, up until the very end of the season, really. They didn't have the, the, the veterans to surround those kids with. TJ Tynan has been outstanding for the rain this year. Now you talk about the other two players that are driving and, and uh, that power play. Jordan Spence. You're going to see a lot of love for Jordan Spence uh, coming up here on Mayor's Manor TV. We're getting Great. ready to release awesome. the 2022 prospect rankings. Love so it. there was love a reason it. why I was trying to get him booked for the show today. Uh, sure. This kid, he just continues to fly under the radar. He was the in the uh, Quebec League, the Junior Hockey League. Mm -hmm. He was the Rookie of the Year. And then he came in and became the Defensive Player of the Year, turned pro, came in during what is arguably the best year of American Hockey League action as long as we can remember, as I said back, I think, in the first period, Dennis, and he's leading rookie defenseman. He's just playing outstanding, and he's proving that he can play at this level. Just like we talk about guys don't come into the NHL and have an immediate impact, right. Dennis, young players don't come into the American Hockey League and have an immediate impact. Jordan Spence is all of that in a bag of chips, as they used to say back in the day, Dennis. <laughs> so is he, is he the next version of Sean Dursey? Uh, he plays a different game than Sean Dursey. Right, right. Um, there's, there's more, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a little bit more defensive responsibility in Jordan's game um, than Dursey. I don't think anybody loves playing the game of hockey, especially giving out hockey hugs more than Sean Dursey. I think <laughs> Dursey's future with the Kings is, is a very interesting one that we'll be talking a lot about over the summer. As you think about Brock Faber uh, turning yep. pro here in about a month from now, when you think about Brant Clark uh, and the fact that I think he'll be in LA next year, where does Sean Dursey fit into all of that? that? Those are those are summertime problems, so I don't want to stir mm -hmm. the pot here as, uh, as the Kings are trying to, to finish off the balance of the season. But Jordan Spence is a very impressive player, and I would encourage people to watch the Ontario Reign, watch Jordan Spence. Now, Helga Granz is probably, when all is said and done, going to end up being the better, quote-unquote, of the two players. Right. Uh, but Granz is equally impressive in terms of a player coming over from Europe 
This is a player that if you remember back at the beginning of the year on the podcast, I said that the plan coming in from management was to play him in about 50% of the games. They wanted him to get a lot of time with the development staff. Now, due to some injuries and Dursey getting called up and some other things, it hasn't played out that way. But uh, Grons has worked out probably better than than management expected him to in year one. He is very underrated. I think you'll see some comments there in the uh, in the prospect rankings as well. But uh, Dennis, Velarde is really what I wanted to get to just sure. in, in talking about who's running the power play. Gabe Velarde was sent to the American Hockey League essentially for three reasons. Number one, in no particular order, by the way, but number one, to learn how to play wing. The Kings had made the decision they were going to transition him from center over to playing wing. That only made sense now that they had Byfield. They still had Turcotte. They have Jod. They have all these players after the signing of Deneau. It made sense, and Gabe Velarde was probably going to play wing. It's also something that we've had scouts on here before, Dennis, and they've talked about the fact that they believe that uh, Velarde was going to eventually end up at wing anyway. So one reason was to learn how to play wing. If you want to look at production as a measure of his success, Gabe Velarde is over a point a game player. So he's he's obviously putting up points on a consistent basis, which is important. You don't want to just do it in spurts. You want to be consistent. And he also you want him scoring goals. You don't just want a winger who's giving you a lot of assists. And Gabe Velarde has scored in over half the goals that he's uh, scored a goal in over half the games that he's played with Ontario this year. So Velarde is producing goals. He's producing offense. He's playing wing. He's uh, contributing and driving the power play. He's doing exactly what you want him to do. So now a lot of people are starting to ask, well, what's it going to take for Gabe Velarde to get back up to the LA Kings? If they're fully healthy, Dennis, the question is, where do you play Gabe Velarde? Right. Because, yep. I mean, the easy answer for some people is, well, just bench Dustin Brown and play Gabe Velarde. We already covered that earlier in the show, Dennis. That's not really the plan from management. So Gabe Velarde is in a very interesting position, DB, because two things. Number one, the Kings would really like to see the rain go on and have some success in the postseason this year. Right. And that team right now is battling for first place. They're, they essentially have more points than Stockton, but mm-hmm. uh, they have played more games also. So it's that winning percentage thing or points percentage thing that we talk about. But right. Gabe Velarde's confidence is probably sky high right now. Why would you want to bring him in and put him in a limited role uh, in, in, in in LA when for the most part, you don't need him right now. The team is winning without him. They're winning with the 14 forwards that they have. You have Leas Anderson, who's on a conditioning assignment. He's expected to be back up with the Kings uh, here in the next week or so. So you're going to have enough forwards in LA mm-hmm. to be able to make the playoffs. Leave Gabe Velarde where he is. I do think he'll get another look in LA uh, this year, DB, but for the most part, let him play in Ontario. Let him go on a deep playoff run with Ontario, which I would expect that he'll be on the rain roster on trade deadline day, which would allow him to play. He used to call that clear day back in the day. Right. But here's the thing, Dennis. His contract is up. Yep. His entry-level deal is up at the end of this year. Now, he's a restricted free agent, so he doesn't have UFA leverage. Mm-hmm. But his contract this summer, to me, is going to be something very interesting to keep an eye on. Do you qualify him and do a one-year, you know, low, low-cost low deal? Do you sign him to a two-year bridge deal? If you do, it's not going to be for very much money, right? Because it's no. you're, you're really putting him on a show-me contract at totally. this point. Yeah, totally. Look, John, to be honest with you, if, you have to, if there was a, a rash of injuries up front, like the call you would make would be Martin Furk, as crazy as it might sound coming out of my mouth. That would be the guy you would recall would be Martin Furk, because I agree with you. Well, I, I, if you need that extra forward, like, and he's not necessarily going to play if guys come back from injury, then Gabe's going to sit games out and not play? Like, no. Let him run the entire season. Let him keep going. And, John, let's be real here. Like, if anything, it would enhance his trade value if he's going to be in on a deal. 
Like you want to be pr productive. If he's going to come up here and be the extra forward, nobody's going to scout him. It doesn't right. make any sense. So, so the guy who would fit would be Ferk and not not Filardi. So I I I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that there would have to be a lot of things go south in the last let's say ten or fifteen games for Gabe to come up here and be in the lineup because this player has to play. And I agree with you. And my question is, even when he gets here, like can he play at pace? Like how's his skating? Can he? Because this team. We know what their identity is. Like you got to check on this team. You got to skate, and I guess you could have one guy who isn't the greatest skater in the world is going to fill the net. Got no problem with it. But yeah, I don't think you disturb that. I think you give him a full season because I agree with you. A lot of with Gabe, I think is mental. It's his approach to the game, and he has success, and he's going to continue to have success. And I agree with you. Why put undue pressure on him? Because as soon as that call gets made, there's going to be pressure on him because there's going to be play fans and maybe some media like me expecting. Like, put the puck in the back of the net. Be productive. So I think that give him the whole season and say, hey, okay, you know what? You're on a new deal. Here's your deal. Come up. You're going to have a shot to make the team next season and go from there. With Jad up right now, they have 14 forwards. And, of course, if everybody is healthy, you're going to have to get uh, you're going to have to get Leah Sanderson up in yeah. about a week. Now, you could send Jad back down. You could also make a move at the trade deadline. You could trade double A. Uh, you know, not that there's going to be a huge return for him, but you no. could give him an opportunity. You'd be trading him really to move a contract and to create Correct. a spot. Quite and a you spot. can keep right. Jad up and you could keep Leah Sanderson up. But to get Gabe Velarde back up, you're actually really going to have to wait until after the trade deadline because you're not going to move two players. No. Again, if everybody's nope. healthy, Dennis, um, yeah. you're most likely not going to move two players in order to create those opportunities. Uh, you could send you could send Jad back replace him with Velarde, but then what do you do with Leas Anderson because there's not a spot for Leas Anderson. So you really have to make two roster moves uh, in order in order to make that happen. So that's kind of the uh, the, the point there with the rain. Um, what's going on with Tyler Madden? We will cover that in the prospect rankings. What's going on with Sammy Fagamo? What's going on with Rasmus Kapari? We will cover that in the, uh, in the rankings. But I do just want to give one thing uh, a little bit more uh, room here, Dennis, on the podcast. Sure. Because I'm going to type it up in the prod in the um, in the prospect rankings, but mm -hmm. it's going to be one of those things that I think just requires more context. Sure, Akil Thomas. People are wondering what's going on with Akil Thomas. He has, I think, one assist last time I looked uh, through the first uh, 15 games or something like that. Um, he obviously was a driver last year and was a big component of what the Ontario Reign were doing. He's been a proven winner everywhere he's gone in junior hockey with both of his clubs there with Team Canada. People are freaking out. What's going on? This is what I would say. And I used this, uh, I used this analogy the other day in talking uh, with the scout about Akil Thomas. Michael Hanzus. Now, Michael Hanzus and Akil Thomas are not the same player. That's not where I'm going with this. But I remember okay. Dean Lombardi pointing this out to me. And it's funny, Dennis, how often uh, I reference back to some of the things that sure. Dean... It, it, the best, the best, and you know this, the best conversations with Dean often came when you were just standing in the corner at TSE during practice Amen. and Dean would just come up and randomly start talking about something, usually the Yankees, but eventually it would yes. work its way back to the Kings. <laughs> and one of those comments that, that conversations that we had one time, um, he was talking about the zero year, the zero year being that occasionally there's a, a year with a player that you have to throw out. And it's not like the Tyler Toffoli or the Tanner Pearson years in recent years where like they had a bad year and you go, look, it's just, it's, it's, you know, statistically it's anomaly and you have to throw it out. Sure. No, it's not what he's talking about. It's a player coming back from an injury and Michael mm -hmm. Hanzus had the reconstructive yeah. knee surgery and people did not like the, con some people did not like the, uh, the extension or the, uh, the contract that Dean had given him. 
And he basically said, look, this first year with Hanzus, you just have to throw it out. It's a zero year. And and mm-hmm. and he will rebound once his knee is fully healthy. He will rebound, and there will you will see the same or a better version of Michael Hanzus. And Dean ended up being right about that particular player. Akil Thomas had double shoulder surgery, yeah. Dennis. So <laughs> he didn't he didn't have it, like right? one small injury. He had you know two significant. Now it was a cleanup. There were some things he'd been carrying since junior and whatnot. But the point is, whether it's physical or whether it's mental or some combination thereof. He had two important surgeries mm-hmm. over the summer. He missed the first half of the season. And we've heard right. players talk about this too, Dennis, that when you miss training camp, and it's hard to jump Shoot. in mid-year yeah. when the team is rolling and yeah. find your groove, right? And find your spot. And find, and your, find your spot. Everything. And find right? your teammates and who you're going to have chemistry with. Sure. And they've spent the last three months doing all of that and building all of that. So my point to all of this is that I don't worry about Akil Thomas. I look at the history of Akil Thomas. I look at what mm-hmm. he did when he was uh, in Niagara. I look at what he did uh, when he was with Team Canada. Uh, I look at what he did even last year in Ontario in terms of recent times. Akil Thomas is a winner every single place that he goes. Akil Thomas carries himself like a professional. Uh, he, we've given him a lot of love on this program. Yeah. My point to all of this is, yeah, it's a bummer. If you just look at the score sheet and you go, oh, wow, look at all those zeros. What's going on with the keel? This is not the player I remember from last year. Yeah, it's not the player you remember from last right. year, but this is a zero year. So I don't care if he scores a goal in every game for the balance of the year, Dennis. Throw out this year, reboot over the summer, mm-hmm. and Akil Thomas will be just fine next year. He'll be in the American Hockey League again, which would have been the plan all along anyway, given his, right. his development path. Put him back in the Ontario reign next year, and Akil Thomas will be just fine. And, you know, it's funny, the organization, not funny, the organization still believes in the guy because when I was, at, it was maybe about six weeks ago, I was at Elsa Gundo at a practice and I ran to Jared Stahl, who's in, on the development side, mm-hmm. right? And supposed to doing this news TV stuff. And he, I asked him, like, you know, who's going to be a player? And he talked about Turkey. And he mentioned Akil Thomas. So the organization absolutely believes at some point he's going to be in LA as a player. So they certainly, despite, and look, John, it's a developmental league. And I get it. Like, for Gabe Velarde, yeah, it's important that he scores goals. I get it. I understand that. But for certain players, it's not that important. And especially for a player coming back from an injury, is he playing the minutes? Is he doing all the other things around scoring? To me, I, I throw out the number. For some of these players at the, the AHL level, I throw out the numbers. It's not about that. And for this player, I couldn't agree with you more. It's not about that. It's, it's about being healthy and playing full games and getting your skates under you in, in, for, as a professional. There were a lot of hot takes on Twitter, DB, uh, when we asked for some feedback. I think we've covered a lot of them, but I'd like to leave on this one. One of the questions, Please. and I apologize, I don't remember who who asked this question, but the question was, which player on the LA Kings would most enjoy me buying them a beer, was the, was the question. Um, I'm going to go with Jonathan Quick on that one, because uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's still the case, but I, I still remember back in 2012, and no one seemed to love the... Uh, the daddy sodas or the adult beverages more than Jonathan Quick. So I'm going to say Quickie would appreciate you buying him, buying him a, uh, a Bud Light. DB, do you have a, a different player? I think Oli Mata. Oli Mata. Oli Mata needs all the love, right? I mean, so that, <laughs> what is he, plus 13 or something like that? I, you know, people were, he was, he was getting run. run you know, John, I, I tell you, at 1 5 and 1, there were a lot of guys being run out of town. The oh. coach, the GM, Oli Mata. 
you, me, we're homers. Wait, me? <laughs> me? Why me? What did no, I just, do? I'm I didn't contribute saying, to just, one in five. We got caught up. We, we all got caught up in it. <laughs> you were wrong about this team. They're no good. Everybody should be fine. So for Olimata, his his redemption season, John, because, look, I still hold my breath when I see him play out there sometimes. He's running all over the defensive zone. But I think the guy deserves a beer at this point. Yeah, uh, it would be like a good European bur- uh, beer. I, you know, I don't know oh, if yes, it would be. A, I don't know if it would be a half, but it would be a really good no. European. Yes. a thick, good Czech you know, Pilsner or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it'd be a good beer. It'd be a really good exactly. one. Just for quickie, exactly. just like Coors Light PBR. He's yeah, good. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. totally PBR fine. PBR for sure. 100%. Uh, I, you know what, DB? I actually like PBR, and I take a lot of grief for that in some places, but I have no problem mm-hmm. with you it. Should. Maybe it's just oh, going you know too many I punk rock show. shows. I don't know what it is. Yeah, PBR is like the beer of choice. No, that's John. You know our you know our tastes are very different, so you know I don't think PBR. <laughs> I have no problem with PBR if they would like to step up and support and sponsor the show. That's <laughs> just fine. <laughs> uh, Pennywise is in a nice stretch right now with five shows down in uh, in Garden Grove, two oh, shows fantastic. under the belt. Had a great time last night. Three more next weekend: Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Anybody wants to uh, supply me with a free PBR, I will. I will graciously take it. <laughs> um, there was also a question about Kachev and what's going on with him. The yep. answer, DB, in short, is nothing. Um, he's playing in Ontario. He's in and out of the lineup. Um, he he was up on the top line, I believe, last night. Uh, but he, he's not going back to the KHL. And it's basically, it's just, you know, he came over. He gave it a shot. He played this shot, year in it. North America. And uh, at the end of the season, he's going to have to make a decision. You know, he probably won't be back with the LA Kings organization. Sure. So is it a question of does he want to go back home where there is more money on the table? A couple million dollars. I mean, this is a, an expensive decision for him to come over and, and play on, a, on an entry-level deal that paid him less than a million dollars. He can make more money in the KHL, but if his dream is to play in the NHL and he feels there another, there's a, another organization that's willing to give him a shot, maybe he starts next year in the NHL and activates his... European assignment clause in November if it's not mm-hmm. working out with that other team. Uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I'm trying to speed this along here, DB. Um, favorite sure. arena, worst arena. This is a question from longtime Mayor's Manor reader. Good guy, good dude, Jake Bowen. Uh, favorite arena, worst arena. DB, you want to, you want to, I'll just give you my yeah. favorite arena is Madison Square Garden. If it's not being played in Los Angeles, I, I just mm-hmm. love the energy of MSG and the history of it. Uh, what's your favorite arena, Dennis? Favorite arena is Bell Center, okay, Montreal, and my yeah. I got my worst, and you oh, you you know this arena, America West, in Phoenix. <laughs> they don't. Okay, but hold on, they don't play there, so that but that's still. But, they, but my my worst arena that I've okay. been to. Okay. Would be, well, then if it's would, that, if we're gonna go all like full yeah. in all the way, I would say I yeah. don't know what, what I don't remember what the name of it was, but the arena where the Devils used to play that was just like a giant rake. Uh, that oh, was a terrible. Brendan Burn Arena. Arena. What was it called? Meadowlands Arena. Brendan yes, Burn. Meadowlands Arena. Meadowlands. Yes, Meadowlands Arena was great for WWE back in the eighties. Yes. But Meadowlands <laughs> Arena, not for hockey. No, I do not vote. I do not vote for Meadow, Meadowlands <laughs> Arena. Uh, Dennis, any, any parting thoughts today, uh, as we wrap up this podcast, it's good to be back on the show with you, DB and, yeah, and talking to LA Kings hockey. It'd been a while. Uh, John, look, they're on pace for what? 96 points. They've overachieved. I, I think the last 25 games are going to be exciting. And John, the playoffs are in front of them. They win the games. They should, we're going to be talking about game 83, which to me, I think is a major accomplishment for this organization from, from Luke down. I, I just think that, and I know coming into the season, you did predict the playoffs. I said they were going to be a little bit short. There, I'll be honest with you, John. There's no excuse. They're really short of a, a rash of injuries to major players. There's no excuse for this team not to make the playoffs. And when you look at the rest of the division, 
there's beatable teams. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying they can win a round, but right now the playoffs are in front of them, and and they should be in. So in mid-April, we should be talking Kings playoff hockey, which to me is a, just a, a validation of what this organization's done. Yes, and DB, thank you for the acknowledgement. I did, I did predict yep, they will make did. the playoffs, but if they don't make the playoffs, I will not be upset at the fact that they uh, didn't, you know, live up to my prediction. I would be upset because there really is no reason yeah, at this point no when reason. you look at what this team has done and what they're yep. capable of with this roster, with these players. Agreed. There is no reason they they right. it, it is like you said, it's in front of them. Just win the games, play the hockey that you're capable of playing. You know, yep. you're not going to win every night. They've been on an incredible stretch here, but they certainly are capable of winning enough games. They have what? What is it like eight of 10 or nine of 10 uh, home games coming up here too, Dennis? They have a, yep. a good stretch. They're playing the Sharks, like you said, even though it's a, a uh, division rival, it's a team that it, they should be able to beat. So they have a good stretch of games here where they should Here's be able the to thing, make it. I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the re- remaining schedule they have, right. and their strength of schedule is like the 24th easy. They have three games left against San Jose, Chicago, and Seattle, well, and two games. against Anaheim. Like, come on, like win the game. Like, so yes, I agree, and, and I get your disappointment. Like, not from prediction, from like write this in a moment. You're in the yeah. playoffs. You don't need help. You don't need right. other teams to lose. Just win your games. You're in. So to me, I, I think it's a. It's not a massive achievement, but it's a validation that the, the plan that they put in place, year three, is coming to fruition. I think it is a massive achievement, Dennis, because I think that all the talk has been on the prospect pool. And while mm-hmm. some people have pointed to it and said, how come the prospect pool hasn't produced more? Because they don't really understand or pay enough attention to learn about the long, you know, time that you need the patience that you need right right? um and also i think that people are overly critical because they're talking about this is year five of this plan that plan no 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 guys this started in december of 2018 when they decided to pull the band-aid off right and and what it's not giving credit to uh or the reason i say that it would be a massive achievement is because i think that the moves of last summer are not being given enough credit the signing of philippe deneau um, yep. There were a lot of people that didn't like that signing, Dennis. They thought that was too yep. much money for too long. Yep. We came on here. We tried to break it down. We explained how it made sense, even financially how it made sense, because mm-hmm. you'd have Byfield in the lineup on an entry-level deal. So right. you add those two contracts together, and it, it works out just fine. It wasn't a negative impact on the cap. But I think that the Edler signing, uh, the trade for Arvidsson, the the mm-hmm. trade for Philippe Deneau, they might not have gone out and picked up the sexiest players that were out there as UFAs, but they picked up the right. players they needed. And that's the most important thing. Thing, Dennis, it's not about getting the guy who's going to help you win your fantasy hockey pool. It's about getting the guys <laughs> that are going to help the LA Kings win. And I just think that the, uh, the management did a fabulous job. But I do reserve my final, final uh, appraisal of their job until they make it into the playoffs. Because, Dennis, sure. that's when the fun begins. Because guess what? Kings of the podcast playoff edition, Dennis. Oh my we have not oh. had a playoff Never edition. had one. That's right. Never had it. So <laughs> how amazing would that be? That would be incredible. All right. It's been good, DB. It's been fun talking to you. Uh, I will catch up with you soon, and we will put out another Kings of the Podcast. Until then, everybody, have a great week. The
cult of personality, the cult of personality.